You're listening to the Claim Throne Blodgecast, Sunday Arvo, Cooper Sparkling, sitting on the couch in my lounge room with me good mate Cabba. G'day mate, it's Cabba here. You're Ash, and it's good to be talking to you and looking at you wearing blue socks and track pants on the couch, big spready. Nice How coach, far away right? should the microphone be from my mouth directing, like an inch? About that, yeah. What is that, half an inch? Oh, uh, well, you know, in the range, I reckon, of an inch to four inches. Mm. And we should easily be able to reference four <laughs> inches in this band, right? <laughs> I was going to say, take your shoes off, mate. I'm going to. Lean back and just enjoy the melodies. Hey, after all... <laughs> I was nearly going to wear my smash shirt today. Oh, you should I decided to wear my cake one instead. It's too big for me. So I need to chuck it in the uh, washing yeah. machine on extra hot. Or you just need shrink to eat it a lot to more a bangers number and one. mash. And bangers and mash. Thanks for that for lunch. No so, worries. So, Podgen, you were just showing me some uh, tunes that you've been doing on your computer. Mm. As pretty were you. Pretty good. Yeah. Also pretty good. I like uh, seeing things happen, unfold before our eyes. Sounds real good. That bass tone was off the chain. What's Very the deal with that? Done. Well, it was simply my bass, a Fender P bass, plugged in, uh, recorded through just a DI, and then I duplicated the track. So two tracks. The first one, I think I chucked a um, just a Sansamp plug in on it in SVT preset, and did a bit of tinkering, but just enough to get a tone. And then the second track, I made it into, I put it through a guitar simulator like Mesa Boogie Distortion and then just like balanced it to make it sound like that and then limited the crap out of each one. Fucking good one. That was it. On the um, guitars. Yeah. How many guitar tracks? Ah, so... Oh, thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Two guitar tracks, rhythm left and right and then like a little like basically one melodic sort of lead and yeah. and then like an actual lead track over the top. So if you're writing stuff like that with guitar leads, mm-hmm. do you come up with that little melody first or chuck that over the top of the rhythms afterwards? I came up with the chords first. Mm. And it you is love just, your chords, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah. So I started with, it is like a, um, it is a B minor chord that goes to an F sharp minor chord. That's the progression. And it starts one way, and then when the song kicks in, it reverts. So, basically the same progression. And then I did that with just a guitar completely unplugged. And once I sort of had just a nice sort of feel about it, and this is a new approach for me, by the way, because usually I'd try and like create a completed song as I'm doing it, whereas this time I just recorded that one track, and I had an idea for like a lead thing over the top. And waited until I had a few set parts before I actually properly recorded anything. How about you? Do you just hit record and go for it or what? Mm, nah, I normally just um, just shred around for a bit until I get something good. And then I'll quickly record it before I forget it. Yeah. And then, yeah, the more I sort of play that back, it'll just get etched in my head. And then, I don't know, it's just sort of like the next sections will come naturally. And if I can't find anything for the next section, then it's like probably not a good song. And do you give up and move on? <laughs> Sometimes. I've, no. My new tactic is just recording everything. Mm-hmm. But if I can't think of anything to do to finish the song, then I'll yeah shut up shop, start a new song mm. and come back to that other one one day. If it gets stuck in my head or something, I'll think of an idea. But I do like the idea of starting with chord progressions. Mm. And then seeing where it takes you on that wild ride. 
Yeah, I was, the reason I'm doing that is because I tend to write exactly the same thing. Like when I'm riffing, it's mm. the same style every time. So I thought if I start with even bass guitar and it's just a chord progression. Bass. Bass. But I found I really couldn't do that very easily. So I started with just normal chords and the intro, which is just bass and drums at the moment, was actually stripped back to just be that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have actually recorded any bass for the demo. Um, but I thought it was probably worthwhile. Cool. When Jesse left a keyboard at my house once, not that long ago, I mucked around with that for a while. And um, that's kind of something different, starting a songwriting session on an instrument that you're not used to, like a bass mm. or a keyboard. And I would just like hold down one note even and then pick up the, like record that one note going for a long time, then pick up the guitar and play along with what I just recorded on the keyboard. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just a little leady melody thing or intro or acoustic or whatever, it sort of gives you ideas, I guess, at least. See where it goes. Your songs always have shitloads of riffs. Mm. And not saying that's a bad thing, but it's like you're pretty creative with just like getting an idea and running with it. Whereas like I struggle a little bit more and I just tend to be really repetitive in my ideas and just add layers to them. And That's take one thing I want to do that I just can't do. Yeah. I still don't, don't think I pull it off though. No, you do. Occasionally, but it's more like one in every 10, 20 songs. I've just decided recently to just dump ideas that if they're not, you know, if I go back to it and I add one thing and then the next time I go back to it, I don't add anything. I just give up on it and move on now. Um. yeah, because I think that the difference between us two is that I've spent heaps of years writing music, but it's always interspersed with just like getting better at instruments and, you know, playing for bands and learning songs and not taking writing too serious, just mm. as something fun to do. And yeah, so I don't think I actually have as many, like my 10,000 hours under the belt <laughs> as you do, for example. Mm. So... Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> like at the moment, I'm uh, just recording everything that I do, which I never really used to do. I would only press record once I'm happy with something. Um, but then, I, yeah, I was just thinking how many like potential riffs have gone by the wayside because I haven't clicked record. So that's sort of where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, okay. You know, one thing I did think was interesting is that we always talk about doing Guitar Pro at the time you're writing something yeah, yeah. so you don't forget it. Or so you don't have to redo it when you're teaching someone else. And I thought about doing that, but then if I have this attitude like I'm going to ditch the song potentially anyway, go with it as long as I can go and then fuck it off. Maybe what a cool idea is, is that, you know, like at the start of Barbershop, they'll go, (laughs) a boom, 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 like that. You could just play, let's say it's a lead line or something that's a little bit harder to work out by ear. You just play each note. Dun, 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 just like at the start of it. So then if, or at the very end of the session or something. So if you ever do want to refer back to and go, how the hell did I play that? You at least have the notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you don't have to fuck around actually guitar tabbing it. That's the other problem with um, tabbing as you go. You you know, you're in the zone playing. Why would you want to stop and slow down and click the keyboard? Yeah. And I figure that part of learning sorry, part of writing a lead is actually teaching yourself how to play it. You've got this idea, you want to pull it off. So you're playing it slow a bunch of times until it forms together. Mm. Take that as an opportunity to just like play the notes out. If 
you know, how many notes are in a frigging guitar lead unless you're a hell shredder? Um, probably not that many. So just, yeah, play them so you kind of know, at least know where to start on the guitar next time you pick it up. And then if you don't go back to it, you haven't wasted much time. If any, I like it. Um, what else? You've got some pretty <laughs> off-the-chain drums in yours. Yeah, that's me using my Stephen Slate things and just because... <clears throat> I'll I'll write the riff before I put the drums in, um, and so I'll change the click accordingly to how fast I want to play that guitar riff. But then, as you drag the drum loops in, it stays at whatever tempo you've got the click set as. So it will automatically configure it to be super super fast if I have it at two hundred and seventy beats per minute. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It works, <laughs> but though. I do like it. That's sort of what I'm going for. But yeah. Would be nice to have it slightly more realistic and playable. Yeah, playable. <laughs> yeah, I've always been able to interpret those things pretty well. You just yeah. got to look at it more from the perspective like, oh, that's <coughs> when he wants the fill to come yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Get a human to do it. That's what it's good for. Yeah. Giving people an idea of how you want it to sound. Not really the finished product, however. But yeah, all these new songs, I've got to like two minutes a song. How so many? That means, uh, maybe eight. I think or nine, but that's normally that would be an album for me. Like ten songs is an album, but for mm. two minute songs, that's like less than mm. half an hour. Well, ten at two minutes would be a rain in blood. Minutes. What's wrong with the half an hour album, especially in this day and age of streaming? If you mm. if you're not going to press it to a disc, it's probably not a big deal, is it? <coughs> I guess not. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. Yeah, look, we usually do this at the end of it, but. What have you been listening to the last week or so? The new Ailstorm, unfortunately, oh, last couple right, of days. Mention. What is it about that? I don't know. It's just fun. Yeah. Really. I've always quite liked their production, strangely enough. It's just it's yeah, basic, okay. but it, I don't know. Always sounds good. And um, and just yeah, being that we sort of know them as well, it's funny watching them on their journey and they're not getting any more serious. <laughs> Doing Quite the opposite. Pirate music, and they're still going. Like, how many mm. albums now? Five or something. Making a living off it, traveling the world, making these utterly ridiculous songs. When the lyrics are "Yo ho, Mexico," you know what you're in for. Yeah, it's hilarious. You showed me a snippet of the video before, and I'm thinking like the production of this video is way more involved than what mm. we did on ours, and we know what ours cost, for example, and ours was a really simple idea achieved within you know a day yeah i can't imagine the costing or or it, how it even works like i don't that it almost looks like a mini movie or something it's pretty crazy i don't know if those guys are skilled in that area and perhaps they have they contribute a lot to it or maybe, maybe it's all outsourced i don't know it's pretty they do a good job of that kind of stuff for yeah. sure so yeah i don't know if uh yeah i've just been enjoying that i guess like even though it's just the weirdest music and so dumb but uh i don't know if you go into it with the right perspective i guess it's just funny and catchy as all hell and you were saying about the second disc oh <laughs> yeah oh uh, god bonus edition second disc is exactly the same as the first disc except all the vocals are removed and replaced by dogs barking in the in the same syllables. Yeah, like you can tell they've done it on keyboard or something. Just put a dog sound effect on, <laughs> and hitting the different <laughs> dog barks at, at all the all the lyric beats. 
and my dog, when I had it on yesterday morning, was hell barking at the radio, (laughs) at the speakers. Man, that's hilarious. So, off the chain, the fact that they can, like, make some serious money off off doing stuff like this, and they, I don't know, like, (laughs) their press releases and stuff on, on Facebook and that that they put out when the new album's out are just so, so dumb. In, in a great way, like, <clears throat> they've <laughs> they've somehow got heaps of ham and they're giving away ham to people for, like, <laughs> doing the, these dumb Facebook competitions and be like, win a year's supply of ham. <laughs> and I don't even know if it's serious or not. I don't know if they're actually sending people ham or if it's just funny to them for some reason. <laughs> all these in-jokes. When we, when, when we toured with them all those years ago, they had the endorsement from that um, hot sauce company. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Apparently, so, Goat Hall make their own hot sauce, and they've really? done a line of that. Yeah. Wow. Didn't know that. Bring them up out of nowhere. <laughs> I think there's. I don't know. I don't mind a, a good dose of Goat Hall here and there. Yeah. 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 I was mentioning so. to Cabba about Goat Hall that they make pretty good money. So I've heard off. Um, you know, just strategic and clever merchandise and good designs and stuff, and mm. obviously their music's cool. But they're not like unanimously known as like a Slipknot or a, or, or on a lower level like an Ailstorm, like a constantly um, thought about band or something like that. But they they're always kicking along. They're always doing tours. And they're always doing this shit, and yeah, allegedly making a living off the whole thing. Man, you don't have to be the best it. band or the most popular band on earth to do it. Mm. And I mean, we've talked, we've looked into it before and done the workings and whatever and. You know, if you've got however many, 100 or 200 really, really loyal fans that are buying all your shit and every single merch design that you do, mm. you're going to make a fair bit of coin and then add to that your touring schedule and just gradually increase it. It's doable, but um, yeah, don't know. Pretty crazy. Yeah, that whole thing like 10,000 fans to spend $100 a year and you've got like a sort of a, an average supplementary income for every member. That's a pretty crazy idea. Yeah, it is. But I mean, that's easier said than done. How do you even get to that point? You need to, you need to have good songs and everything still it has to appeal to people. Mm. But yeah, if that's step one. If you do happen to have all these awesome songs, yeah, you don't need to reach every single metal fan on the entire earth. Just got to be, uh, be mm. clever. You know, um, what I've been listening to for the last week. What have you, what's your album of the week, Ash? Uh, my album of the week is Metallica Black Album. Wow, cool. Um, wow, and why? Because last week, I think I, it was on this podcast, I mentioned that they recorded in a house for the Black Album. Yeah, And yeah. I went back and watched Year and a Half Metallica. They are not in a house. They're in a fucking <laughs> studio. So, I completely blew that. Sorry, nerds out there. All right. Um, but it's, yeah, that is such a cool documentary and watching it like years on, I haven't seen that in a few years and probably watched it maybe three times in my life. Right. And you just know that like, if you look out for certain things, you notice them like this time I noticed that behind Kirk Hammett is two of these ADA MP1 guitar preamps. I used to have one a while back. It was pretty cool. So he's just got them sitting there with a mess of boogie. So that stuck out that didn't before. Another one was um, Lars in one part. He's like, yeah, yeah, in the main guitar part, 120 or something. And then when the drums kick in, 121. And then for the guts of the song, 123. 
And it just that always went like I just never really even listened to Lars ever. But he must be talking about tempos. So back in the early 90s, they were, you know, making tempo maps like we do today. And yeah, they're talking about little beats per minute changes for every section to keep the thing sort of a bit lively and change the feel of it. And yeah, it's just little things like that you find out when you do rewatch stuff, especially. I don't if think I've seen that at all. Hey? Really? I should watch it. Yeah, it's worthwhile. Like, it's not the greatest thing on earth, but that thing, Funky Monks, Red Hot Chili Peppers, where they just have a bunch of what they're doing in the studio generally, you just little, you catch little things. That mm. just goes in general for band docos. If you watch them every few years, you start to pick up on things that you might not have noticed the first time. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty cool. But anyway, it got me listening to the Black Album again. And yeah, I was in the car the other day for a solid hour, so I listened to the whole thing. And um, yeah, it really struck me that like it's a definite sound that that album has, but a lot of the interesting textures on it, especially when you watch Year and a Half Metallica, yeah, some certain tone that sounds like a cool jazzy clean tone or something. He's using a semi-hollow-bodied ES. 175 or something like that some gibson guitar with p90 pickups and for his lead tone he's using like a uh what's it called jmp fucking marshall or something like that like all the tones it's not just one guitar and then some crazy mixing trick they did to get the sound yeah. it's like they're picking specifically the instruments to suit that part and uh yeah that's it's an obvious thing but it's hard to be like a local band and every instrumentalist in your band just has like one main piece of gear or one amp or one drum kit. So it's a bit hard to sort of wrap your mind around it. But yeah, that's how they do it, folks. Mm. Do you yeah. like that album as a whole? Um, uh, yeah. I remember playing Tomb Raider in year nine mm. and listening to it at like six in the morning on repeat. And that's when I, I didn't get into Metallica until, yeah, I guess I was like 14-ish. And I remember back then just not liking certain songs off it that didn't really grab me. And they're the same songs that don't grab me today. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the main ones are, yeah, they're pretty cool. Definitely some cool moments. And I do like the like the turnarounds. So the riffs might be, yeah, memorable and straight ahead sort of rock slash metal riffs. But then they'll have the little, the tails of them or to get into the next bit, the transitions are all pretty cool. And yeah, something to be learnt from it but it's a bit hard when you've got basically acdc drumming <laughs> over very straight ahead metal riffs mm. as opposed to like master of puppets which is fucking riff city and fast drums and a bit more closer to what we would do as a band mm-hmm. i don't know what are your thoughts on metallica um yeah i've never been a fanboy or anything but i've never disliked them and um yeah, I don't know. I like. Yeah, I s- sort of would have heard him f- first at the same time as you, I guess, like early teens. I was familiar with everything, but then sort of as I got more into actual metal, as opposed to, I don't know, like I was in, big into new metal, you know, Rage Against Machine and System of Down and Slipknot and Soulfly and whatever. But then as I started getting into more extreme stuff, I was, probably would have appreciated Metallica more. I think the more I sort yep. of got back into it a bit. And the Black Album, I like it for what it is. Like, yeah, not 
not Rift City like your Master of Puppets and stuff, but pretty enjoyable listen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, wherever I may roam and Sabbath Trues and stuff, pretty good fun. Yeah, for sure. Chunky guitars, beefy. The bass tone is off the fucking charts. <laughs> One other thing that I picked up I didn't notice last time was that in Jason Newstead's, uh, Jason Newstead's section, he says, I use a pick and my style is to dig in really hard. So they built a little barrier of foam around him because <laughs> he's sitting in the control room. And, you know, yeah, again, I've seen that bit before, but it didn't really click with me like the producer and the engineer are listening so closely to the takes that they don't want to be put off by like string noise behind them. So he's sitting in a back end <laughs> corner of the room playing his parts. And once again, the bass tone's awesome. And he says that like he's picking so loudly that it's off-putting to the engineer, you know, in the room. So he must be picking pretty hard. So if you want that real hard-hitting tone, you got to fucking really pluck the shit out of your strings and that goes for guitar as well. Um, but also it struck me that he's not in the room with the bass and Hetfield and Hammett are in there doing their riffs and they've got an amp set up out in the room and they're sitting in the control room as well. Like I was having this conversation yesterday with one Mark Hawkins, master guitar builder, and yeah, he was saying that um, he likes the feeling like at band practice or at a gig where he's standing in front of an amp. It's that sort of relationship of what you're doing with the sound and how it's coming back at you. Mm. So it is a weird feeling being in a control room. But yeah, I guess all the big bands kind of do that as well. And it really shows you that recordings are kind of a weird, weird way of, I don't know, getting music down and being creative and connecting. Do you have problems like that? Like when you're tracking guitars? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but it's interesting with Newstead that, um, again, it's how he plays and his performance as opposed to trying to figure it out after it's tracked to get it to sound how he likes it. He's, yeah. He's, he's nailing it during the recording. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good feeling. Having that cab there, I guess. Yeah, weird thing. With Newstead's sound, acoustically, with the camera like looking at him doing takes, you can hear off the bass just like how mid-forward and thick the actual acoustic tone of the bass sounds. Mm. And that's a huge thing as well. Like, I think if you want a really awesome bass or guitar tone, your bass or guitar needs to sound and that goes for drum kits need to sound exactly like you want them on the record when you're playing them mm -hmm. because you know yeah amps do a little bit as well and the microphones on the drum kit like the way they're positioned to pick up certain things or reject certain things but yeah you've really got to give the performance and on the instrument that produces the correct sound in order to get the sound. Because if you try and create that afterwards in the mix, it's not, it's pretty fucking impossible. And it's really hard for like an engineer to try and interpret what you're saying. Oh, I want it to be beefier and thicker. Like how the fuck does that work? <laughs> so yeah, it's, you've kind of got to get everything correct to begin with. Mm -hmm. Well, you do have to, um, to have a, a vision follow through all the way to the end. Yeah. I don't know how we're talking about Metallica, but... Sorry, man. It's pretty good. <laughs> no? Good. Um, 
Was there anything else that you've been listening to that you were going to bring up? <sighs> um, not really. Bunch of summoning. More Ahab. That's about it, really. Though we were listening to some Arch Enemy before. Oh, wasn't that good? That was actually really Righteous good. Sin. Yeah. I remember always sort of liking it, but not really loving it. Um, but yeah, listening back to it today, I was like, wow, I don't remember it being that fucking dirty and evil sounding. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I remember cool. thinking some of the riffs were just a bit sort of cliched and you just sort of, you know what they're going to play next and it has, yeah, I don't know that sort of feel, but yeah, I was thoroughly enjoying it this morning. It's hard also because they're quite a crossover band or not a crossover band, they're a, a gateway band. Mm. Between sort of, I guess, maybe somewhere between Killswitch Engage and, uh, fuck, I don't know. What's a what's a more intense melodic death metal band? Even an At The Gates or something. At The Gates, yeah. So like uh, Arch Enemy, Soilwork, Some In Flames sort of sits in that centre ground where it's mm. kind of accessible to normal folk um, but has elements of being heavier than it should be because it's still quite... Uh, structured in a pop manner, like verses and choruses and mm. lead breaks and stuff like that, which is something that sticks out about the Black Album in hindsight is like, holy shit, this is really formulaic in a way, you know, in terms of song structure. But uh, yeah, they do have a lot of good moments in there, Arch Enemy. They're some fucking awesome parts, but yeah, a bit hit and miss in certain areas and they really sound like, well, we've got to have a radio chorus here or something, mm. but in an odd way. So, leaving all those preconceived ideas at the door and just listening to it with a few beers yeah, while yeah. we're having a chat was actually kind of uh, quite liberating. Definitely. And because, yes, yeah, strangely enough, like we'd be looking at each other and like knowing all the parts. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. <laughs> it's really weird. So, and because it's so sort of, yeah, I don't know, formulated or whatever with the song structures it has more of a catchy element to it so that you do remember all the parts a bit easier. Mm. But No, it was well put together and I don't remember the vocal performance being that brutal. Obviously mm. been a while since I've heard it. But, uh, yeah, real good. Yeah, it is pretty cool. It's um, hard to know what to listen to these days when I stick on Apple Music. Yeah, I don't know. I sort of let Spotify decide for me sometimes and then I go from there when something jumps out at me like a band called Firespawn that I heard the other day what for the first time cool uh, yeah death metal sort of thing uh, from hmm good question don't know and why <laughs> somewhere in Europe Where'd I don't you know I idea? just hell enjoyed it because I'm not a I mean I like I enjoy death metal obviously but I'm not a huge death metal dude and I don't really listen to much tech death or anything so yeah, I don't know if they jumped out because it was sort of catchy in a behemoth sort of way, but not as boring as behemoth. <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere between that and, and tech stuff. Uh, so I listened through to that album and yeah, turns out they're a pretty big deal, but I'd never heard of them. So that was good. And also the need to capitate it is highly interesting. Yeah, you showed I don't me don't know if I like it or not yet, but it seems interesting. It was like, uh, what do we say? Sepultura or Sepultura? Yeah, it did sound like Sepultura. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this all coming from the man sitting on my couch wearing a cake t-shirt. <laughs> Last episode, we were alluding to our fucking shitty ass um, 
live podcast thing that we we're going to do. Yeah. Live podging. So the 40 minute advertisement we yeah. posted last week isn't yeah. enough. That's what we've been building to <laughs> this whole time. 70 episodes. Yeah. No, I was going to ask you more about what you're going to be presenting on. Um, present them. Present them. Yeah, I was thinking, look, I'd love to go through my recording, how I do it at home and stuff and how we've had some successes and what we've learned from our failures, but it's just going to take too long. Yeah. Because this thing, I think we've allotted, let's say, an hour for for Cabba to crap on endlessly about whatever. <laughs> and then me, an hour to try and crowbar some advice into it. But I think what would be more suitable is that, look, not everyone's as confident as us that we can just miraculously pull off a home recording for our next album. But there are some like real, what's a good word to use? Some standard things that are going to help you out wherever you record. So if you decide to record at your own house, at someone else's, a friend's or whatever, who may have a project studio or a a sort of beginner DIY studio sort of person, or even at a professional studio, there are a few things that are really going to fucking help you out. So I would cover stuff like, uh, in an in an hour, I could pretty much cover things like, um, you know, maybe not exactly how to get the tone you're after, but just conversations about getting guitar sounds and the importance of getting guitar, bass and drum sounds before you go into a studio, uh, planning and preparation, stuff like scratch tracks, click tracks, things that can help you and basically save you money if you go into pro studio or just save you headaches if you're at home. Using two tuners. Stuff like that, yeah, using two tuners and I'll go into that in detail. But we've got caught in the past, as we mentioned way back on some other episode where a tuner of ours was knocked out of calibration. The old two-tuner trick, uh, as taught to me by Paddy, the Cannibal Corpse guitar tech, um, he, yeah, has this little two-tuner thing that he does. And I said, why the hell do you do that? And he said, oh, if one tuner's knackered, it'll show up on the other one. And so you can figure that fucker out for yourself. Um, yeah, just stuff like that is just that basically anything that you do to prepare yourself for any recording is going to give you a better recording at the end of the day. So that's it. Bloody ripper. <laughs> what I'm else did you expect to hear, mate? Some shit. No, nothing. Would you learn anything? I would, yeah. Do you just not pay attention when we're recording? <laughs> like, is that it? Nah, I don't know. That sounds really rude, folks, but in the same way that... Um, <laughs> You know, that I don't really fucking take any notice of what you're doing. But I feel like it won't be exactly the stuff that we've spoke on on the podcast because, mm. you know, we, we obviously <clears throat> have stuff like that every episode that we're chatting about, but it's so blase and we're mucking around and we're jumping from topic to topic and everything. So I just feel like that would be really focused and a bit more step-by-step. Um, mm. yeah, yeah, starting from the beginning and, yeah. Perhaps you'd better start from the beginning. Yeah, yeah perhaps better start from the beginning. Yeah. Anyway, that'll all be coming out soon. Should be good. Yeah. I think things that you've told me that you've done in terms of hashtag marketing, 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 and it blows my mind. And I think you're doing that in the background or, yeah, I'll be literally recording the album with the band and Cabra will be sitting on his laptop and I'm like, oh, what the fuck are you doing? Like, oh, the Brown Raiders have their first win of the year in yeah. the Supercoach, have they? Yeah. Are you doing Supercoach? <laughs> are you researching Jock Reynolds? 
And then, yeah, Cabot goes, oh, this is what I've been doing. And it's like he's booked nine shows in America or something. <laughs> go, oh, okay. Holy fuck. <laughs> so, yeah, it will be cool from my perspective to watch what you do. You, you magic, mate. <laughs> you better help me out if I get lost for words. Like, I'm a little bit nervous about talking in front of people. Really? Yeah, I don't know. It's it one is. of those things, isn't it? There were um, people's biggest fear. Yeah, great. One, death. public speaking. Two, death. As advised by Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Death is number two. Because podcast is one thing. We can hide behind the computer. Well, don't you know. find that it's sort of odd? Like, we're buddies. And before, <laughs> to really break down the fourth wall, we had lunch together, a few drinks, some Doritos Dang and stuff like shit. that. Listen to a bit of Withered Beauty, even though Cabin may not have picked that Oh, is that, that what it was? Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask. I didn't get around to it. <laughs> and yeah, you know, just generally shot the shit. And then you stick us in front of two microphones and we're like, hi, Cabba, um, how are you for the for the first time we've spoken today? It's it's kind of a bit weird. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's definitely why earlier episodes of the Blodgecast were a little bit stunted because it's so bizarre to just be natural and talk to each other while we know we're kind of talking to an audience mm. of Paulie Cottrell and <laughs> Oliver Udall, Ryan Smith, Razor Ray, Ned Hatswell, Stuart McGill, <laughs> and Ned Hatswell. What a legend, hey? Can't wait to get him on. Yeah. Or um, get him off. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, playing on stage a gig in front of people? Do you ever get nervous about playing a gig? You know, I... It's not like public speaking, I guess, because you, mm, you know, you're rehearsed and you know what you're doing. I don't, but I have yeah. definitely retched before. Have you ever done that? <laughs> retched. Yeah, I always feel like um, yeah. I've got a crook stomach and I think that that's maybe just nerves internalizing right. or something like that. I think we get that a lot on tour because we're constantly you fucking drunk eat everything because yeah, you're excited cool. about being somewhere, but then you realize you have nowhere to shit because you're not at home. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be could be it as well. Maybe, uh, maybe. No, nah, I don't know. I haven't got that, but I do get a bit, a bit. I don't know. Not. I wouldn't say nervous, but just. Uh, just never know how it's going to turn out. I guess. Sometimes it'd be like five minutes before we play and I'm like, shit, I'm going to have to talk between some of these songs and I have nothing to talk about. Well, that's the tough thing. And I get to hide behind a drum kit and as long as I play pretty good, it's all good. But you have to like, you know, sometimes we've definitely played shows where the vibe's dead on stage. Mm. Like we've had a huge night the night before and like Jim and Dicey can't be bothered talking (laughs) and you're just up there and you're like, Clearly, just throwing a Hail Mary, like, please, someone say a joke. Yeah. You're like, oh, um, so the food's really good over here. <laughs> Had a schnitty down at the pub earlier and it was really nice. Yeah. What I hate is when when I have um, gear issues on stage, so every gig, and then between songs, I can't try and fix it because I'm fucking talking to the crowd. Yeah. So I get a bit jittery about that sort of shit happening. You get little um, sprinkles of piss coming out of your <laughs> dick. <laughs> I've never pissed on stage. I'm like a bass But uh, so yeah, I think that there should be a lot of a different environment. Uh, not having our instruments with us. Talking you want to know the worst one? What? I was sort of nervous once mm. when um, I was pretty hungry, 
So I microwaved a packet of Ingham chicken Kievs right. to try and speed up the process. <laughs> and then after I ate it, I got ripping salmonella and oh. had a gig at the Civic Hotel that night. And so I got some Imodium because I was in one way or another excreting blood and um, yeah, rocked up to the show, had some Panadol and played the show and felt like um, I was going to explode the whole set. It was the worst. Wow. And then after the show, everyone's chatting and stuff like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I really have to go home because I feel like I'm going to die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, funny shit. Yeah, it is. Well, not the funniest shit I've ever done. Yeah. (laughs) The worst. But apart from that, man, yeah, nerves to nerves. I think that you need some sort of nerves to convert into like adrenaline or something to get you a little bit fired up. Because if you're just bored as piss, then you'd probably play like shit or just you'd be boring. But you can't overblow it because the goal of most bands is to become big and successful. But when I look at someone like, you know, Metallica doing a CD listening party, standing on stage at Madison Square Garden Mm. to 19,000 people, you're just like, okay, if we got there one day, all those rock in Rio shows or whatever where Corn plays blind to half a million people, like, holy shit, hey. That's crazy talk. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it'll happen for anyone. Can't imagine it. Um. Yeah, if that sort of stuff still happens these days, big ass festivals. Oh, there's well festivals in Australia. There's we don't have festivals anymore, pretty much. Yeah, Euron festivals, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah, which is a bit sad, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. I just feel like back in those glory days, back to the primitive, music, people took it pretty seriously. Mm. What's the What's the latest in making music podcast? Uh, I've hit my upload limit for the month, so <laughs> okay. I can't upload another episode until 1st of May. I don't know how yours works. First do you have a problems. cap on yours? I don't think I do. I've got 100 meg a month. so that's Maybe because my episodes are so short, I haven't encountered that. Most likely. So I can fit in four 30-minute episodes per month, okay. and then it stops me from doing it. Mm. It doesn't stop me, but it would charge me money if I went over, so I don't go over. Mm. Not a bad thing. How much does it cost if you do go over or if you want to upgrade? No idea. Uh, upgrade, don't know, maybe five bucks a month or something dumb. Mm. It's probably worth doing, but I figure no one cares that much. <laughs> Everyone can just fucking wait. Again, a, a few, few listeners, days. do you know? Uh, I haven't actually, I've forgotten my password for the stats <laughs> thing. <laughs> but definitely, yeah, get an average of, I don't know, handful of people or whatever. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Mm. But yeah, as far as the, I guess generally as it goes, I've had a couple of episodes with Owen, my new mm. co-host. It's presented itself with its own set of challenges because he is a busy man with a a wife and kids and a job. So at the times he's available to podcast at, I'm not necessarily available at. So it's, yeah, it's a bit hard scheduling. But yeah, we're getting there. And the idea of it, as it always was, is just to talk about things like that. So, like, how how does he, him having that sort of lifestyle and me having a different sort of lifestyle affect our productivity and creativity at home? So, it actually kind of works in well with the scenario. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, you can suck me off. <laughs> what about you and your band tools shit? I see you got 
an episode on um, Big Cartel. I've missed that one. My name's Cabra and I like making music. Did, did you I did do, one do a Wikipedia yeah. one as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever updated a Wikipedia page? Yes. And it got Funny deleted. Yeah. Did it? Yeah. What was it? Father Adrian or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, I think it was about um, oh, some fucking, some word or something that I thought was amusing. Yeah. Didn't work. Um, I didn't talk about this on the episode because I only have eight minutes. But um, the first time I found out that Claim the Throne had a Wikipedia page, I was reading it going, what the fuck? Like, who has put this shit on here? It was okay, but um, it didn't really make a sound that good. It was like... Claim the Throne is a metal band <laughs> from... <laughs> yeah, exactly that. And once Claim the Throne supported Ailstorm on their Australian tour, and I think... That must have been... Yeah, I think it might have been when Fortune Flame just came out and I just was Googling our name to see what came up. And it was up to... I think the discography had Ale Tales and that was it. Uh, so the page existed and it was like right up the top of search results, but it did not give the right information really. Mm. Uh, so got in there and put heaps of shit in. And it's funny because you're talking in third person like you're not in the band. Um. But still to this day, it's got a little error message at the top of the page saying... Needs um, more fucking needs more citations. Ci- yeah, citations. But it hasn't been yeah. deleted or anything. Um, you read some of them though. I, I read one a few weeks ago or a month ago about a band. Fuck, I wish I remember who it was. Maybe it was like Sunk Lotto or something like that. And it's, you know, a band that's been broken up for a while and then they use Wikipedia to overblow the importance of their band at yeah. the time. And I don't think it was actually Sunk Lotto, but it was sort of like, and they once were offered to play Home Bake oh, Festival really? in Brisbane. And that was a big step up because Jason said he really <laughs> liked singing at that festival. You I'm know, surprised like, that gets gets through. Yeah, same deal. It has like citation issues at the top. I I. It definitely wasn't Sunk Lotto, but it was a band like that and it seemed like it was written by yeah. maybe like a really close friend of the band or someone who doesn't realise that like they're breaking character when they start personally referring to band members yeah. without citation. He had a real bugger of a time <laughs> at that show and he told me that he had a sore leg. How do you reference that, hey? <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yeah, oh. pretty funny. But what you can do, like... If you're in an awesome band like us who gets heaps of good CD reviews online, then you can... But no sales. <laughs> no sales. <laughs> All album signings. But you can say whatever, like... Whatever impact you've made or this band is really great, but you can actually cite, cite that by putting a link to a review, I guess. True. Yeah. Metal Insider said, Claim the Throne sounds good. <laughs> Three stars. <laughs> Metal Ruse ranked Claim the Throne 5 out of 5 for their Forged in Film. Have you noticed, and if you are listening, Greg, hi, that the Strong Boys 19's Twitter profile is now, uh, is it Greg the Music Buff? Yeah, I did notice that. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah. I wonder if he is um, taking a different approach to mm, his Rebranding online. himself. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. I'll have to ask him about that. Yeah, we will. And we will have to send him a CD pretty soon. So, Gregors, if and you are listening... probably do an episode with him. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. He's, man, he's been playing a lot of cover gigs Hasn't around he? the place. Yeah. I think that's his his gig. Yeah. I wonder if he does make a living off that. I think so. 
Yeah, actually, we should do an episode with Greg. Mm. It's on the to-do list. Yeah. So, speaking of the top of my things to-do list, we did talk about some stuff we're listening to here with the new Ale Storm, mm. which is called what, by the way? Um, no Grave But The Sea. Cool. Not a bad name. Also, New Dream Evil. Not very good. Really? Boring. Mm. Disappointing. Yeah, okay. And, yeah, I'll listen to Metallica Black, but if you had some albums, you know that sometimes you go like, I really should listen to that album. Mm. What would be your prospective album of the week, do you believe, this week? Something that I haven't heard before that or I should listen to. Just something that you've been meaning to listen to or, uh. or even re-listen to. I did listen to Meshuggah Chaos Fear last week and enjoyed that thoroughly. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not even a huge Meshuggah fan, but that album, it really uh, Chaos stands Fear. out for me. What, what's the deal with Chaos Fear? I, don't, I just reckon the vocal performance is so intense that it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I really like that. And it's just ruthless in its, in its music delivery, in yeah. all, all senses of the words. You can you just like, you could just skip every song and just hear the first 10 seconds of it and you got a good idea of what you're in for. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Is that what you were asking? Basically? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm asking. So you're going you're gonna to listen to some chaos? I probably will. I've got way? the CD out. It's on top of my CD player. So I see it every day when I walk past and chuck a sneaky play here and there um but i do i have found that they've got <coughs> very i don't know a bit, bit over them there's only so much you can listen to i never really got into them yeah. like i liked i liked things about Meshuga, and i liked that they were unabashedly themselves so yeah just yeah that ruthless sort of songwriting and and vocal delivery and intense Stuff that they're like challenging you not to be able to understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah but good. yeah, it doesn't, to me, I just oh, I fucking can't listen to it for too long. Mm. And yeah, I appreciate and everything, but um, yeah, it's it's one of those things. You know, um, a few months or know, a while ago, I went to Albany and um, Sophie was driving the whole way and I was bored. So I wrote a top 100 albums, Cabba's top 100. Fuck. Could do an episode one day. So fucking lot of albums. Jesus. 100 to be exact. How the hell do you even do that? Don't know. It's just like... Googling and shit? No, nah, I was just like writing down all the albums that I liked and then just moved them around, depending which one I liked more than the other. If you thought you were bored, how bored was Sophie watching oh, you do She that? didn't know about it. I wasn't wasn't boring her with it. I think <laughs> she was listening to Bruce Dickinson or something. <laughs> so anyway, that's in the notes of my phone. And the other notes is all these words trying to find a band name for uh, all these thrash songs I've been writing. Hit me. Nah, they're all shit. Hit me. Nah. You prick. Nah, but I can tell you that Silverchair Frog Stomp is in the top 100. Really? Mm. Well, it doesn't surprise me, really. You know when they, like Rolling Stone, do top 100 guitar albums of all time? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the top three is like Lou Reed's Metal Machine Experimental Album or some shit like that, and you kind of like, sort of hurts you. <laughs> but, yeah, you know what I mean? It would be bloody hard to think of 100 albums that you like full stop. Oh, if it isn't me, old mate Glenn. Ringing on the phone. Nice. You're on the Claim the Throne podcast. Sorry, listeners. Just had a phone call from one 
Dicey Dyson. Isn't he in Barlow? No, he's going there soon, hence his phone call. He was looking he, he's for... He's been there, because I thought he, he went to a wedding this weekend. Unless he has been again. He's ringing me now. What's up, cunt? Let's wrap this cunt up. Yeah. The end. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about just before? Immediately before? Sugar, something. Did you have someone on that list of yours? No, not no. at all. Uh, I was thinking... <laughs> you know, like with the, the the whole new um way that people can see music with streaming, right? Yeah. Will the whole album thing go away? You know, like I can sit here and fucking rattle off a hundred albums that I really like, but when people aren't buying CDs as such anymore, and they're relying on Spotify and whatever to recommend a song here and there and playlists all different bands. You know, they might like a couple of songs from one band and then they move on to the next one. Do you think the whole concept of the album will go? Not sure. That's kind of the last bastion in the old music era thing. I talked about this months ago. You know, we're kind of stuck in this idea that, like, we need a product and a product was defined by the media that it was reproduced on. So albums from the 70s were 44 minutes long. Because you were restricted to 22 minutes per side of a vinyl. Then hit the 80s into the 90s with CDs and albums became 60 minutes long. Even though I think technically you can do 72 minutes. Most albums definitely jumped up in length. So there was a lot more filler and less killer on a lot of albums. And then, yeah, now with streaming, it's like you could easily have a double album. It it struck me with... uh, Metallica Death Magnetic that yeah, they yeah. had an album A and an album B and they delineated it that way as Death in Magnetic? disc one and two. Is that the newest one they did? Nah. I forgot what the name Hardwired to self destruct. That's, That's it. Yeah, yeah. So with that one, they had a disc one and a disc two. And it's like, why didn't they just have thirty songs? Mm. But again, that looks kind of ridiculous. And as a listener, if I looked at an album and it's got thirty songs on it on a streaming service, I'm like, can I put that kind of time aside? You know? So I think that the idea of a release, you know, some album that's pretty cool, like let's say Wages of Sin, they pull out the two or three tracks that are a little bit miss and keep just the hit in there. That might actually be a good thing for music. I was thinking the same for that Soil Work one that was the double album. Yep. You know, and there was a few songs on it that were so good, like going back to the early stuff. But then there was just some shit ones in there as well. If they had a, mm. hey, had to sort of clean that out a bit, could have been one really good, good one. And then you look at like Moon Sorrow, mm. and they've got that. I don't know what album it is. Maybe their second or third, and I don't know if they called it an EP or an album. Tully Mursky EP, two uh, songs. It's got Whom the Bell Tolls cover on it. Oh no, no, no! You're yeah, the two song one. Um, I don't know what it's called either. Yeah, have a teddy, I think. Probably, yeah. Weird finish and it's work. fucking awesome. It is, yeah. Two half-hour songs. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, is that an album? Mm. To, I mean, to me it is, but... 60 minutes worth of music. I yeah, guess. It, at least. What about when um, System of a Down did the two-album thing? Did they both come out on the same day or something like that? Or maybe they staggered it over a bit of time? I thought they staggered that. So they probably would have had enough. Mesmerise, lullabies, hypnotise, whatever. So, yeah, instead of having a double album that people would just buy, they had two albums, split them up and made double the money, I guess. Or like Winter Sun, who did a double album and then just didn't release the second one. (laughs) Yeah. 
Oh, Winter Sun, eh? Yeah. I would love to see if this album even comes out. I forgot I fucking burnt (laughs) fucking 60 Australian dollars on that already. Yeah. Yeah, It's funny to me because even when you, if, you know, before streaming was a big deal, but iTunes was around and you could buy an album off iTunes, but no one was really doing it. Redundant, you know why it's fucked is because it was locked to your device that you bought that on or yeah. to your account, and it's like what dollar ninety nine per song, Australian. I think it was ninety nine cents US per song. Oh yeah, but like at least when people buy off Bandcamp, you get this ownership thing where you yeah. have MP threes that you can like you can give to your friends or you yeah. can chuck on your laptop and your phone and you burn to a disc for your car, but. A guy, a guy I work with now, he's like, actually, and two guys I work with have both said this to me where they're like, I don't bother streaming because I've got 35,000 songs in my library and I just shuffle through them. And, you know, a, a 160 gig iPod isn't enough. So I went on eBay and bought a classic that had 320 gig. Mm. And I say, I bought the smallest phone I possibly could because I didn't want to waste money on storage because that's the only difference. And I just stream and I've only ever got five albums on my phone. And they go, oh, how do you afford the data? And I say, well, I download the albums I'm going to listen to during the day yeah. to my phone. And then while I'm at home, I just stream anything and I don't bother maintaining a library. And then so so that furthers to your eight songs that are two minutes long. And you're like, oh, is 16 minutes enough to release as an album? Well, in the world of streaming, no one gives a shit. Yeah. They press play on it and that's it. Whereas like if you went out and spent your 30 Australian dollars in 1998 on Cabba's album and it went for 16 minutes, you'd go, this is fucking shit. Yeah. Like what a rip off. Yeah. So when it's already included in your $10 a month. And that was always the rip off difference between EPs and CDs is that you could buy a regurgitator new for $10. And sorry, the pushing EP buttons. New. Yeah. Pushing buttons, 10 bucks, right? Yeah. For an EP, four songs. Or you could buy Guide to Better Living or Tuplung full albums <laughs> for like 30 Australian dollars. And you think, what the hell? Because the pressing cost is the same. The CD holds the same amount of data on it as the the full length does. Who'd have thought? I'll leave you guys with that one. What should we play as a song this week? Aerostorm mm. Mexico. See you later.